You're listening to another New Hope Chapel Hope podcast. Chapel podcast. This message is from our series called Life After Pentecost, presented by Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. Well, I don't know about you guys, but when I grew up, I had this image of who God was in my mind, and I had a picture of him, and a picture of God the Father and Jesus in my mind. I kid you not, I, they were sitting in the clouds, kind of looking down, sort of at this angle, always, and, and, I, and I found the picture online. This is, I, this is the exact picture that I had in my mind. It's, it's this right here. <laughs> This was what I, this was who I had in my mind. This is who God the Father and Jesus were. This is who I pictured in my mind. And, except I think God the Father had a cowboy hat. I don't know. Maybe, uh, but you know, it's good to know that if I'm ever, you know, wanting a little taste of that some more, I can buy the whole season of Highway to Heaven with Michael Landon on DVD. I think I must have watched this as a kid and that just made some impression in my mind. I don't remember what the show was about. But uh, apparently there were a lot of them. So, <laughs> so now I'm anxious to get on YouTube and find some some of these episodes of them. But that's what I had in my mind. But I thought of my, I, th- I was thinking about this. I thought, well, what did I do with the Holy Spirit? Like, what did I think about for Him? It's just God the Father, God the Son. What about this, the Holy Spirit? And I was reading a book not too long ago called The Shack, a very popular book, uh, a wonderful book. And in this book, this man is taken to a shack and he, the shack transforms in front of him, and he meets the Trinity. Only the Trinity is not like we would expect. God the Father appears as an African-American woman. Jesus appears as himself, a, a you know 30-year-old Jewish carpenter. But then the Holy Spirit was Sarayu, I think is the name, and it appeared to this Asian woman with very... Um, I don't know, almost you could see through her, very this essence to her, but yet still a being. And I thought, you know, it's so easy for us to identify with God the Father because we think of the word Father and we have a picture of what that looks like in our minds. Jesus was fully God, fully man, so that makes it much easier to picture him. But what do we do about the Holy Spirit? How do we picture him? And that's what I talk about today, the person of Pentecost. The person of Pentecost. Who is this character, this person, called the Holy Spirit. What do we do with that? How do we picture him? What's his role in our life? It's, it was interesting because I was looking at our beliefs and we're going through the bylaws and looking at what changes might need to be made. And I was looking at our beliefs and I thought, well, if I were to rewrite these, what would I say about the Trinity? And I thought, well, I could start with, with God the Son and I could say all sorts of things. He's fully God, fully man. He's He was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, he was crucified, he died, he was buried in the tomb for three days, he rose from the dead, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. I could say a lot about that, and I thought about the Holy Spirit, what could I say? And I just came, you know, a lot of things about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's our comforter, he's our advocate, he's He's our intercessor, he's all these things. And I thought, well, what about God the Father? What could I say about God the Father? I thought, well, I could say he created the world, but he wasn't the only one that created the world, right? It said the Spirit moved over the waters. In John 1, we learned that Jesus was there in the beginning. Nothing was created without him. I thought, well, what about God the Father? What do we do with that? So it was interesting that I, I assumed that I knew more about God the Father than any one other of the persons of the Trinity. But really, he was probably the one I knew the less, the least, or understood, I should say, the least. But we'll talk about why this is important in our in our 
talking about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. But before I do that, let's look at what we looked at last week, the parallels of Pentecost, where we looked at the two Pentecosts, the Jewish Pentecost, right? The celebration of the giving of the law. And we saw that at the giving of the law occurred on Mount Sinai, and only Moses, actually maybe a couple of others, were invited up to this mountain. It was holy. Nobody else could go up to this mountain. It was this tremendous, frightening event there on Mount Sinai. And God told Moses to wait in the camp until he appeared there on Mount Sinai. Of course, while Moses was receiving the law from God, the Ten Commandments, along with the other laws, in the camp, the people who were excluded from this event on Mount Sinai sort of made a God for themselves. They called him Adonai. They called him Lord. They said, this is going to be a festival to the Lord. They attributed the works of God to this golden calf. But they wanted something they could see, something that they could worship, something that they they didn't like the idea of God being spirit and truth. They wanted something concrete in front of them, in front of them. And so they worshiped. They had false religion as their motive. They worshiped the golden calf. And when Moses came down, he broke the tablets in anger. But really the tablets were broken. The law was broken because the law only pointed out just how far from God we were. Just how impossible it is to please God through the law. He's just on a whole different level than us. That's the word sin, hamartia, to miss the mark. And so 3,000 people were put to death that day by the Levites, their swords by Moses, for their disobedience to God. And then we looked in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, something amazing happened. The fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. In that day, I will write my law on their hearts and on their minds. It's not going to be like the old covenant, which they broke though I was a husband to Israel. This new covenant is different. And so in this sense, the people are told to wait in Jerusalem for the fire, the baptism of fire called the Holy Spirit. And it transforms lives. But meanwhile, there are a group of people who have a false religion. Their religious nature is by works. And they rejected not only Jesus as the Messiah, but also the Holy Spirit as the fulfillment of Jeremiah 31. And they were angry at what the disciples had said. But there was another group. The other group were cut to the heart by what Peter said. And they were convicted. And they wanted to follow this Jesus. So they said, what do we do? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Turn away from this wicked generation. And they did that. So whereas 3,000 people were killed in Israel's camp because of their disobedience, 3,000 people that day gave their lives to the Lord and had changed lives. Well, with that in mind, let's look at who is the Holy Spirit. In Hebrew, he's called the Ruach HaKodesh. Doesn't that sound better than the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit sounds like, oh, the Holy Spirit. Ruach HaKodesh, right? That's like, that. now that just says power to it, right? Especially if you get that like glutteral thing that Jewish people do with the Hebrew, right? Ruach HaKodesh, right? Well, that word, that phrase, that name, is only found in three places in the Old Testament in the Torah. It's found in Psalm 51. It's found here twice in Isaiah. I'm sorry, it's found in Psalms. It's found also in Isaiah 51 twice. And let's look at this one real quick. It says this, I will tell of the kindness of the Lord, the deeds for which he is to be praised according to all the Lord has done for us. Yes, the many good things he has done for Israel according to his compassion and many kindnesses. Now listen to this. Watch how the Trinity shows up in this passage of Scripture. He said, Surely they are my people, children 
who will be true to me. They, If they are children, they have a father, right? And so he became their savior. In all their distress, he too was distressed. And the angel, and the word angel means messenger, so it doesn't necessarily refer to a, an angelic being like we think. It could refer to the second person of the Trinity. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He filled them up and carried them all the days of old. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. You see, the, the three persons show up very clearly here in Isaiah 51. That's not the only place. There's some beautiful passages that talk about the, the three persons of the Trinity. Well, in Numbers chapter 11, we learn a little bit more about the Spirit of God. And actually, in Isaiah 51, it says a little bit further down, it talks about the Holy Spirit again, but then it says the Spirit of the Lord. Now, that phrase should be familiar to us, because throughout the Torah, we read we read of passages about the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David, and he danced, right? Well, in Numbers 11, we get another glimpse of this. In Numbers chapter 11, the Lord says this to Moses. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. And I will come down and speak with with you there. And I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. And they will share the burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it alone. In verse 24, so Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do it again. Now, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit throughout the Old Testament? I think there's a few key things. Number one, his interactions in the Old Testament, number one, are exceptional. They are exceptional. They're not ordinary. They're not commonplace. When the Holy Spirit comes, shows up, it is a, a miraculous, I, I suppose, for lack of a better word, an exceptional event, extraordinary event. Number two, it's transient. Sometimes it rests on, some, on, on someone, sometimes it doesn't. The Spirit of the Lord came upon this person and left this person. He came on these Levites, then he left these Levites, he came on Moses, he left Moses, and so forth. It's very transient. It's not permanent. And the other thing is that it's sanctified. It's sanctified. You know, what's interesting is that when we read about the passages about um, Moses on the Mount Sinai, or in these passages, Moses has to take the holy people, right? He can't take the common man. He takes the holy people with him. And it's those people who are set apart, who are cleansed, that can interact with this holy being. It's a sanctified person, the Holy Spirit is. I think one of the best illustrations to understand the Holy Spirit and what happened between the Old Testament and New Testament is to look at the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant was a very sacred box. It was very sacred, very powerful. Nobody dared touch this. In fact, those who did died. And in the box were the uh, were the tablets, the, the stone tablets, the law were in there, along with a couple of other things, the staff and the manna from the, the wilderness. And in the Ark of the Top, and the Ark of the Covenant was so special, it could only be carried by certain people, and it had a special room all for itself. It was the, called the Holy of Holies, the most holy place in all of Israel and all of the temple. 
In fact, it was so holy that nobody could go in there except for one person. That was the high priest and only once a year. And once a year he would walk in and he would make sacrifice and atone for the sins of the people. But it was a very haunting event. That person was afraid that if he made the wrong move, God would strike him dead. So to make sure that the people stayed out of the most holy place and that God's holiness stayed out of the out of everywhere else, right? We didn't want to interact with God in a, in a, in, in a bad way or else we could be struck dead. They built this curtain. This very thick curtain, six inches thick, to make sure nobody fell in there by accident, right? We want to, it's not just a curtain, it's going to be a really big curtain. We don't want anything to do with that box, right? We want to kind of keep it at a distance. Well, something frightening, awesome happened on the night that Jesus died. The moment he, his breath left the earth, the temple curtain tore into two. The most, a wonderful symbolic event that now the access between the common man and the holy of holies was opened up. The holiness of God was opened up to us through the atonement of the blood of the ultimate lamb, who is Jesus. And that made the way for the Holy Spirit to come. We read about last week, we looked at the passage and, and the end of John, where Jesus appears to his disciples and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, right, to some of them. But in Acts chapter 2, is going to be where the Holy Spirit is really unleashed. Because Jesus told him, they told him, hey, wait for it because it's going to be the baptism that I've been talking to you about, the baptism of fire. In Acts chapter 2, we read this. Peter's giving this sermon. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. I don't think Peter had any idea when he said that how much, how true that was. That would be taken to the Jews that were lived there in Jerusalem to the ends of Judea and to Samaria, but it would also be taken to the Gentiles who were all over the earth. So what do we learn from that passage? Well, first of all, something happened. Peter says, the promise is for you. If you believe, you will receive the Holy Spirit. It's expected. It's, it doesn't make it any less miraculous that it's expected. It doesn't make it any less important that it's expected, but it's expected. When we believe, we receive the Holy Spirit. That's like that day that we say to, to Jesus, Jesus, I want to follow you. My heart's desire is to be your disciple. He's not going to leave us alone. He gives us the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 1, one of my favorite passages, in verse 13, it says, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And only one person can open those seals that we read about in Revelation, and that is the Son of God. So the Holy Spirit is our seal. In other words, whereas before it was transient, now it is permanent. Once you have the Holy Spirit, you do not lose the Holy Spirit. You may grieve the Holy Spirit. You may make the Holy Spirit angry. But it's like being a, a child of your family. Yes, as a child of your family, it doesn't matter 
what you do, you're still a child of that family. Even, le- even if your parents say, I don't want you to be in this house any longer, we can be assured that God never says that to us, but we'd never stop being a son or a daughter of someone. It is permanent. It seals us for the day of Christ's return, for our eternal glory. In Revelation chapter 5, we read this. In verse 9, it says, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals because you were, uh, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. He's made us to be priests. Take a look at 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, by the word, that word people is laos or laity. Once you were not a laos, a laity, but now you are a laos, a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you received mercy. You see, in the Old Testament times, when they talk about priests and ordaining priests, sanctifying priests, it was done by the priesthood. So priests were chosen, they were brought up, they were ordained, they were sanctified, they were set apart. Those were special priests that would serve in God's kingdom. They were mediators between God and man. But in the new covenant, once that curtain tears into two, there is no need for the priesthood. We are the priesthood. In fact, in Exodus chapter 19, where, where God begins to give Moses instruction about to come up to, the, uh, to Mount Sinai to receive the law, he says, I wish that all of you would be priests. Well, that comes into fruition following Christ's death and following the Holy Spirit. Because whereas before only the special people could have the Holy Spirit on them and then the Holy Spirit would, might leave, in this case, it's sanctifying. It's sanctifying. Only the sanctified could receive the Holy Spirit. In this case, it's sanctifying. I saw a shirt recently that said, um, it said, Jesus made me kosher. I like that. You know, because we think, okay, well, you have to be kosher to come to God. You, you have to do, follow these rules and then you come to God. Well, it's very different once after the crucifixion. It's, I'm kosher because I come to God. I'm sanctified because I come to God. In fact, 1 Corinthians says just that. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But you were washed, right? So instead of washing yourself and then going to the temple, you were washed. You were sanctified. Nobody sanctified you. Nobody ordained you. No human being did that. You were justified. No priest said your sins have been forgiven. You were justified in the name of the Lord. That's who did it. The Lord did it. The Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. That's who does that in your life. No one else does that. That's the Holy Spirit's role in your life. In Romans chapter 8, well, what does this mean for us? In Romans chapter 8, I love this passage, starting in verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So the Spirit reveals to us who the Father is, right? Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? In this case, if we have the Holy Spirit, we've seen the Father. We belong to the Father. He's testifying who the Father is. Take a look at this. And the Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now that's huge, because the word Abba means Daddy. In fact, Jesus was giving a sermon a sermon on the mount, in fact, and he was, and he, there he's, all these crowds are gathered, and it comes time for him to talk about how to teach us how to pray. And he, and this is going to be huge, right? Because Jesus is going to say some words, and it's going to be iconized and repeated for ages and ages and ages. And what does he start out with? Daddy. Call him Daddy, who is in heaven. Holy is his name. Call him Abba. Call him Daddy. That's huge. I'm sure, I'm sure heads rolled. What you, what about infinite, holy God, awesome creator, almighty, powerful, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent creator of the universe, right? We can't call him daddy. Jesus says call him daddy. Call God daddy. That's so different than what we're used to, isn't it? It sort of makes us a little uncomfortable, I think, at times that we would be so familiar with God, but that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit bridges that gap so that we now have a Father. We belong to a kingdom. We live in His presence. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in the suffering in order that we may share in his glory. So this was pretty big for me in the past few months, is that growing up, I could, I just did not call God Father. I don't know why. I did, maybe it was awkward hearing people say Heavenly Father or, or something like that. I, I don't know. It, it was just weird. Some people feel very comfortable with that. That's great. For me, I did not. It was hard for me to do that. So I would not call God Father. I'd call him God or Lord or you know, Jesus, and, and something changed in me where I was, I was challenged to call God Daddy. And it made all of the difference in the world. Because, you know, when you call God Heavenly Father or God, or, and what I realized in my prayer life was that in my prayer life, I was sort of justifying myself or trying to convince myself of God's power. I think we do this, you know. God, I have a friend who's sick, and she's in really bad shape. And Lord, I know that you can heal. You've done it before. You, you've raised that little girl from the dead. You, you raised Lazarus from the dead. You even raised yourself up from the dead. God, you healed the sick all the time. And we go on and on like that, right? And I think sometimes it's because we're trying to convince ourselves of what God is able to do. Because Jesus says, look, when you go to pray, don't pray like the Pharisees and go on and on and on and on. God knows what you need before you even ask Him, right? And so something's changed. Something's changed where I don't feel like I have to figure things out. Like I have to come to God and say, God, I'm really struggling with this and try to envision how everything's going to work out. Like, for example, if I were to say, God, um, God, I, I'm really struggling with finances right now and uh, you know, and then trying to picture out how God is going to work everything out. Maybe this job will work out or that job will work out and so forth. And that's kind of my adult mind cycling through things. But when I say daddy, that little boy in me shrinks back and there I am with my dad, you know, many years ago where I didn't have to figure out where the money was coming from. My dad was, my dad, you know, he's, our, our dads are the most powerful things in the world in our mind, right? 
He can solve anything. And suddenly when I'm sitting with my heavenly father and I say, Daddy, this is my friend sick. Daddy, I, I don't have money this month. And I expect him to answer, right? In some cases, he might say, well, the reason why you don't have money last this month is because you blew it on this, right? And, <laughs> and that's good fatherly advice, right? Or maybe he'll say, yeah, I'll provide. Maybe he'll say, you know, I really want to heal that girl. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and pray over her and tell her to be well. We should expect God to answer. Because here's what Jesus says in John 14. He says, very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. I mean, it doesn't get any more plain and simple than that. We, we sort of blow things off and we say things, well, God doesn't heal that way anymore. Baloney. God works in mighty, wonderful ways through each and every one of us. And this is what he says. You will do the works I have been doing and they will do, and they will do even greater things than these. Greater things than what Jesus did. Because I am going to the Father. And he says, if I'm going to the Father, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And you may ask me for anything in my name. Anything in my name. And I will do it. You know, I I, I hope that my kids... Uh, don't approach me as I get older, as they get older, and say, well, Dad, you're a smart man, you're a wise man, you have things figured out, you're a busy, busy man, so, you know, if you wouldn't mind, would you, would you do this thing for me? I mean, only if you do have time, you know, and I, sometimes we come to our father like that, right? Um, we, and I understand that, I, I'm not trying to harp on anything, I'm, I'm just trying to say, I think sometimes we come to him sheepishly. Because we don't, we, we think of him more as a manager, a shrewd manager, or a boss. You know, you come to your boss, is there any way I could have next week off, you know, and you're like, but only if it's okay with you. You know, we do that. But when it's my child, and then we're in walking through the door, walking through the store, and Analia looks at that toy, and then looks up at me with those eyes, and she's like, Daddy, can we have that, please? <laughs> oh, I hate that. <laughs> I am such a sucker. <laughs> she looks at me and she's like, her eyes are all big and, and I'm like, you know, I, it's hard to say no. It really is. I do, but, <laughs> but it's hard to say no to that. It's hard. And I've been wondering, I wonder, you know, those times that Abraham or that Moses intervened for the people of God, I wonder just how much God looked into those eyes and said, Son, is that what you want? You, you, you want to spare these people that I'm really thinking about wiping out because of their sin? I'll do that for you. You ever think about melting the heart of God? Not manipulating God, but coming to Him as a father. Coming to Him as Daddy and saying, You know, Dad, I love you. I love you and I know you love me. And this is on my heart. Imagine the things we pray about, the things that concern us. It's, it's changed the way I pray. It's changed my life. It's changed a lot of the things um, about my prayer life. 
Well, one of the last things I want to talk about is the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus tells them in Acts chapter 1, He says, I'm going to the Father, but wait in Jerusalem for the thing I've been talking about, the Holy Spirit, who will baptize you by fire. Remember, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but one comes after me who will baptize with fire. Well, we often think of the Holy Spirit and picture him as a dove or fire and so forth. And let's talk a little bit about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because when I went to college, all of a sudden people were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'd never been taught about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought to myself, am I missing something here? You know, I thought we just received the Holy Spirit. I know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss out on this, you know. What's the stuff you're talking about here? Well, it, it's confusing, and a lot of people talk about it in different ways. And sort of here's where I'm at with this. You know, the word baptism sort of trips us up, so let's forget about the word baptism for a minute, because then we start, start thinking about dunking or sprinkling or dunking three times or dunking forward then backward and then, you know, or just throwing water on someone, you know. And we're not going to think about that. Let's think of the word baptism as the word immersion. Immersion. Because that's what the word baptism means, immersion. And when we think of that word, Jesus says, go into all the world, baptize, immersing them in the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In one sense, we might say, well, Jesus was telling us to baptize with water. And that's probably true because we see that as... The, as the apostles go on in teaching. But there's another thing there. Because immersing someone in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, immersing them in the life of the Trinity is not a one-time event. That's an everyday event, right? When I believed, I received the Holy Spirit. But you know what? I'm in trouble if that's all that's happened in my life. Immersing myself in the Holy Spirit is very different. It's very much more complex, much more profound is a better word, profound than just receiving Him. It is submitting my life to the Holy Spirit. Again, the, the Bible tells us, it says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit for which you were sealed. In other words, you have the Holy Spirit, you can grieve Him like you grieve a parent. You make them angry, you make them upset, you just don't listen to them, you ignore them. We can do that and still have the Holy Spirit. But what Jesus calls us to is receiving the Holy Spirit, submitting our life, being immersed in the life of the Holy Spirit. That's the baptism by fire. That's where God transforms us. That's where he takes us to that Mount Sinai. And he says, I'm going to write my law on your hearts and on your minds, and you will be my people. And no longer will the neighbor have to tell another neighbor, hey, know God. Because all of us will know, and that word know doesn't mean just a mental knowledge of God. It means a heart knowledge of God. It means a relationship with God. They will know God. They will know who I am. I will be their father, and they will be my children. That's the life that we're called to. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's the person of Pentecost. So I want to just turn our time now to some directed prayer and pray about some of these things. I just find this helpful. I don't know if you found it helpful last week. Um, but I want us to close our eyes. And the reason I, I say close our eyes is because there's a lot of distractions, and we, we're just so easily distracted by things. We see, we see something someone's wearing, or they scratch their head, and then we think about the last time we've taken a shower and washed our hair. And, and then it just, it's a train, train wreck of thoughts. And so we just close our eyes, and that's what Satan tries to do. He tries to distract us. So the first thing we're going to do is we're just going to say, 
and say, Satan, I cast you out in the name of Jesus. I bind you and cast you out of here. My life is for God. And right now I'm trying to connect with what God is saying to me. So I just encourage you to pray along with what I'm praying or if the Lord uh, brings you to another uh, another avenue of something He's sharing with you, open your hearts up to Him. So we say, we say, Holy Spirit, God, I want you to father me. And I understand that a lot of uh, a lot of people have uh, some hang-ups about their childhood and uh, and that this connection between their father and, and sometimes that can be difficult. And maybe what needs to happen is that God needs to heal some of those wounds in your life. But I want you to say, Daddy, I'm your daughter. I'm your son. I'm here now. What do you have to say to me? And young people who are here, this is for you too. Don't think this is just for your parents. Close your eyes and connect with the Lord. Daddy, what do you want to say to me? feel right now the Lord is saying, oh, I love you. I love you. I long for you to sit here with me. Some of you may be coming back for the first time in a long time. I feel like right now the Lord is also saying, I know. I know what's on your heart. I know that heavy burden. Daddy, what do you want to say to me? Again, stay with it. Don't get distracted. Don't let, don't let Satan work in your mind. He's, he's going to say things like, this is weird, or you're imagining this, or whatever. Cast him out. Don't let him have a place. Daddy, what do you want to say to me? You know, our, our lives are gifts, and our lives are these precious gifts that, that God gives to us. And, and we talk about the life in the Holy Spirit. It's like, it's this gift. And we give that back to the Lord, but I think sometimes we hang on to it. We, we don't want to give it fully. We, sort of give it with the intention of it's a loan. It's, I'm giving it to you today, God, but not tomorrow. And so right now, I, I want you to just sit there with your Heavenly Father, with your Abba, with your Daddy. And I want you to imagine your life as a, 
a box, a gift with a wrap on it. I found this to be very helpful in my life. I I want you to give that to the Lord and say, Daddy, this is my life. This is my most precious gift. I'm giving it to you. And give that over to God. Let Him receive that. See the father's eyes as his his child gives him that gift. You know, and let me say this is that don't make this a, a one time event. Don't um, don't just do this once. Do this every day. God, my day, this day is for you. God, my life, this is for you. I'm no longer, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, right? The old is gone, the new has come. Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's podcast. Located in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples and He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.